The reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 64, verses 4 through 9. Isaiah 64, 4 through 9. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and put all our righteous deeds, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not, our, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Good morning. That'll teach you to open up your Bibles and read them, won't it? Having the wrong scripture verse up there. I cut and pasted the right one. I don't know what happened to it, but uh, it wasn't up there, but... uh, That was from Isaiah chapter uh, 64, and we're going to take a look at that. So if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn there. We definitely have the uh, fall season upon us today, don't we? Man, I walked out this morning, let the dog out, and kind of went out to sniff the air, and I came right back in quick. It was pretty cool, and uh, made me think about dressing differently and grabbing a coat and all that stuff. You know what's great about fall is that it, it stimulates all the senses. You think about it. I mean, we're starting to eat food, you know, of the fall crops. I know uh, Sam had an apple yesterday from Lynn's, right? And some of these um, fall harvest crops are coming in now. And um, you can see the changes happening. And in the next four weeks, you know, our our visual senses are going to be stimulated by the beauty of the changing season. Um, You can even smell the changes that take place, can't you? I think about mid-August, you can start smelling the, the fall in the air. The leaves are starting to die, and some of them are starting to fall off those early trees. And right now, especially after a little rain and a new crop of leaves falling, this morning it, it smelled like fall. One of the things that uh, I associate with the fall season is the smell of smoke in the air. You know, how many of you think about um, uh, neighbors burning leaves upwind? Right, uh, a lot of times you'll be driving along the road and there'll be a smoke screen across the road, somebody burning. But you know, it doesn't always smell very good, but it does remind me of good things, of, of going out as a kid and taking stuff out to the burn pile and, and uh, raking leaves, which I hated then, but for some reason I like it now. Um, just reminds me of fall. I, I like that that smell of like the, the burning leaf piles and so on. But if you get too close to it, it's pretty, pretty rough. Um, doesn't it seem like when you're standing around a burn pile or a campfire that if you're, if you're up close to it and you're trying to roast a hot dog or something, that the smoke follows you no matter where you go? You ever notice that? So like 
it may not even feel windy, but the smoke will be drifting that way. So you come over here and you try and roast your weenie. And the next thing you know, you get that poo in the face, right? And your eyes are burning and your nose is burning. Uh, that's one of those things that's really not so pleasant. I like the smell of the smoke from the distance. Last year, our neighbor was burning over here one evening in the fall. Do you remember that? I think it was a Sunday night and it blew this way and it just filled the auditorium up. And I was sitting here going, yeah, it's probably not good, but I like that smell. I can't help it. But if you get too close to it, it'll burn your, burn your senses, burn your nose. Well, there's a group of people in the Bible that God directs a message to that He says, you're like smoke in my nostrils. Now, at first I read that and I thought, God's so mad He's smoking out the nostrils. You know, smoke's coming out of His ears, but that's not what He's saying at all. He's like, no, it's, it's that irritating Smoke in the nose where it burns your nose, and, and the idea comes to naturally, because when it's in your nose, it usually is in your eyes, that, that it's an irritant in your eyes. And he said it's continual. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever he says that there's a group of people that really irritates me, I want to know who it is so I'm not in that group, right? All right? And, and I want you to know so you're not in that group. The, the interesting thing about this group of people is that nobody thinks they're in that group of people that's irritating God. They never do. It's always the other person. They're irritating. Why? Because they're irritating me. They irritate me, so I know they irritate God. And God loves me. I've been told that since I was little, so I know I'm not irritating to God. Now, this, this category of people, it's actually the chorus. It's actually the church. And so, you know, there are some messages coming up in this week's readings ahead where Nahum goes to the non-churched and Obadiah goes to those non-churched people, north, south. God's taken care of, of, of preaching His message to those people outside of the church. Unfortunately, the people that are smoking His eyes are people in the church of the, of the congregation of Israel. So that really draws my attention in. I, you know, I know nobody says I'm really irritating to God and smoking His eyes, so I'm just going to keep doing what, I'm, what I've always been doing. I just want to make sure I'm not in that group. Well, that's in chapter 65. Why don't you turn with me there? Uh, we, we were reading from 64 here a little bit ago. Now we're looking at 65. And what we're going to do is I'm going to put a few objects before you just to keep you on track and let you see a progression here. I've got a brick, a lump of clay that is soft that can be formed, and a finished product right there. I really hope I don't knock that off. But if I do, I'm going to make a spiritual application out of it. So I've got a, I got a, a backup plan. I was afraid Larry was going to knock it off. I said it here and I thought, that's not good for a song leader, you know. He's going to... All right, so it's up there. And I'm always pounding on that corner, so... Do you see the pot? I, I'm not going to do it. It's right there. Can you see it? All right. I'll be nervous the whole time. All right. So in chapter 65, verses 1 through 7, read with me, please. Isaiah 65, 1 through 7. God says, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. 
I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine's flesh and, and the broth of abominable things in their vessels, who say, now listen to this, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, and he quotes from Deuteronomy 32. In other words, it's already been said, I will not keep silence, but will repay, even repay into their bosom your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says the Lord, who have burned incense on my mountains and blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. In other words, they'll, they'll get back what they're offering. I'll, I'll give it back to them, the reward of their offerings. So he says, the people who say, well, let's just look at them. Look at this. Smoke in the nostrils. Oh, man, what happened? Oh, I, I, I must not have saved it the last time I made changes. Wow. We don't have to have this thing. They didn't have them for years. Now, for those of you who weren't able to be here last week, that was last week's sermon. Well, if there's another one saved on the thumb drive uh, there that you see, Eric, go ahead and pull it up. If not, turn that thing off, because I killed it. But we don't need it. Sometimes I need it for pictures and things to help illustrate. I don't need it today. All right. These people, first of all, are very religious. Look down here through these verses with me. They're thinking about what they're doing. <clears throat> they're conscientious. They're, they're, they're planning religious activity. He says what they're doing is not very good, but, but they're walking according to their own thoughts. So they're thinking about religion. They're thinking about God, actually. They're making sacrifices. They're, they're walking in a direction. Okay, They're trying to accomplish something by their religious activity. And, and they're giving it... A, a real attempt. I mean, they're going out and spending the night among the graves. They're, they're offering on beautiful brick altars, etc., etc. They're trying to impress God among other gods. But they have their own thoughts about who God should be. Doesn't that sound familiar? They have a, a culturally acceptable God. They have a God that's more palatable. One whom they can accept on their terms more. And some of the things about God they can accept. Okay, sacrifice, we can do that. We, we really see the religiosity of that. We really see the, uh, uh, we give something to our God effect in that. So we'll, we'll keep sacrifice, but we don't like the bloody altar of the Jews. Like the altar that the priests were burning on and pouring out the, the, the offering of, of blood around the base of the altar continually day by night was a bloody mess. We would like a pretty altar of brick, you know, where when we sacrifice on it, it's not so offensive, etc., etc. So they're very religiously minded. They're thinking about what they're doing, but they've, they've actually changed the image of God into 
an image that they want to create, which is, of course, the great problem of mankind that still plagues us today. We want God on our terms. He said, that's like smoke in my nose. They also said, verse 5, keep to yourself. Don't come near me. Boy, that's revealing. They don't want to associate with anyone whom they believe to have less desirable qualities than they. Reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12 when he transitioned from that great doctrinal foundation over into the, how it plays out in everyday Christian life. He said, associate with the humble. Just come down you know, from the top floor here and drop your elevator a few levels. We're all standing on level ground at the cross, right? Just come down off your high and lofty you know, perch. Reminds me of that. There, there are differences with other people where they would say, keep to yourself. Don't come too close to me. It's an excuse, really. Uh, it might be that they have personality differences with some people and just don't want to work through them. It's hard work to carry on long-term relationships, isn't it? It's hard work. It requires something of me. I, I God says you can't just cop out. You've got to deal with the differences. Either they've sinned against you and you need to go to them, or you've sinned against them and you need to go to them, but it always starts with you. And you act when there's a problem between people. And it's really easy to just say, well, it's because I'm, it's because I'm so holy. It might be a socioeconomic difference. Maybe they just don't understand some people. It's okay. We don't have to understand everything about one another. We have to understand some things. It might be ethnicity. Maybe there were racial differences dividing them in that day. But really, these people just don't want to be known. Think about it with me. Whenever somebody has a, just stay at arm's length from me, it's one of two things, mainly. It may be, as we'll see in the, in the second part of the verse, I'm holier than you. It may be that I just don't want you to know me. And I think that's usually the greater problem in the church. You know, we, we have a term for this. It's called standoffish. I just want to stand off a little ways from you. It may be that people don't want others to find out about their lifestyle. You make yourself vulnerable when you come into intimate relationships with people. Family, you know? Family usually knows about everything about each other. And God says, welcome to my family. And so if we just kind of cruise through our life in the church and say, I'll, I'll give or I'll, I'll deliver this to the church for that function, but I'm going to leave and I just, I just don't want to get close to people. It's usually, I, in my experience, that People don't want to be known. And the Apostle Paul said in uh, the letter to 2 Corinthians that he desired to be known by God. John wrote that he would be known uh, and know God as well. That there's transparency in that relationship. And so when we turn to one another, and James says, for example, pray for one another and confess your faults to one another. All right, He's saying become more intimate with one another. These people, 
are the ones that are just going to go ahead through life and just say, I'm going to stay at a distance from the church because I don't want to be found out. I'm afraid I'll be confronted. I'm afraid I'll offend. I'm afraid I won't be accepted, and I really like to be accepted. So I'm just going to stay out here and hope nobody sees. And God says, that's irritating. That's irritating because I've brought you into a family to help you and help one another. You have something to offer too. And so it's not just that you're, you know, that you're just not allowing someone to help you. It's, it's that you're not sharing your gift. So we're called into God's family to be known. That's hard work too. It's harder work keeping up a facade than it is being transparent, by the way. That's also my opinion. The facade of I'm holier than you. Now, how am I going to maintain that if you know really who I am and what I'm about? If you know my faults and sins, I'm not going to be able to tell myself I'm holier than these people. But they're justifying themselves by the sins of others. And Paul also had something to say about that in the second Corinthian letter. He said, it's not wise for you to measure yourselves amongst yourselves because you justify yourselves by yourselves. Well, sure, I can look around. I can find a fault in everybody. If I look hard enough, a lot of you are just really good people. Probably find a fault, at least in my opinion. And remember, that's my opinion that there might be a fault I could find. And I promise you, you could find faults with me. And so if we just did that, like, who's going to heaven? Well, we all are because we all think we're not as bad as everybody else. The only thing worse than that is when you think you're just not worth anything and you're not as good as anybody else. Both of those things are detrimental. But like the Pharisee who prayed thus with himself, aren't we supposed to pray to somebody? Yes, we are. Jesus did not misspeak when He said the Pharisee who came into the temple prayed thus with himself. Not to God. God was like, you're not talking to me. You're just kind of stroking your own ego here and patting yourself on the back when He said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like these other people. And over here is a tax collector, a publican, beating his breast saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Can, can you see the Pharisee going, yeah, see? I mean, I was right, man. He's sitting here admitting he's sinful. And Jesus said, well, which of the two do you think is going to go down to their house justified? By God. I think two people went home justified. I just think the one guy went home justified in his own mind. I'm holier than you. Burns his nostrils. There's only one by whom we are to measure ourselves. Final thing to notice about this people is the me and the I. Look. Do not come near me. I am holier than you. Where's the teamwork there? You know? Who is this? It's somebody on an island. They're on a religious island. Nobody else is good enough to be on the island with me. I mean, not even one other person. It's just me. Not Don't come near us, me, my clique, my group of my friends, that we're the holiest in the church. I mean, this person just, they just don't even think really anybody fits in the category. Everybody else's sins are worse than theirs. God's itching His eyes, holding His nose, you know, figuratively speaking, of course. These people are closed up. They're these. They're the brick. The heart. It's not even shaped like a heart, is it? You put it up here. It's not even heart-shaped. It's brick. 
usually the same people have a brick-shaped heart, have a block-shaped head too, right? As far as God's concerned. But it's, it's the idea that there's, there's no way I'm going to be able to take that and, and do anything with it at all. And God has created us to be recreated in the image of, of Christ. When we sin and we're fallen, He wants to take us and reshape us. And even in the Old Testament, He wanted to shape and reshape His people to be acceptable to Christ when He came. And now, after the fact of Christ, we're called to be reshaped in the image of Christ, His dear Son. So we actually have a visual. It would be like saying, I'd like to make this thing right here and I can see what it looks like, so let me take this, not this. I can take this and I can start working. I probably won't be able to do that, but you might. And I can work that thing up, maybe on a wheel or something, and get it to look like that. Now that's what he is after here with these people. But sin is sin's like that smoke in the nostrils. It's just it burns, it's stinky. It either stinks right away or it stinks later. You know? The Bible says that some, some sin is pleasurable. Others just stinks from the beginning. But we think some sin is, is really pleasurable. We, we feel an immediate result from it, a euphoric feeling of some sort, an, ex, an emotional acceptance of some sort, maybe by others. And we get that in me. It's like, the, it's like your garden vegetables that a lot of you have sitting on your sink right now. They look good. They even smell, they might smell, especially when you start, you know, maybe stir-frying them a little bit or put them on the grill and cooking them. What happens to those same vegetables when you leave them sit there just a little too long? Man, isn't that the worst rottenest smell ever? Tomatoes at the bottom of your vegetable drawer in there you forgot about? Or the, my, my worst putrid is potatoes. Potatoes? We got a potato bin. Why'd they ever create a bin for potatoes? The potatoes get down under there, right? And the very bottom one starts to rot. And then for two or three days, you go around the house going, what is that? You know? Finally, by the time you got to get out of there, you're grabbing it and it feels like this, you know? Oh, it's nasty. Sooner or later, sin gets really rotten and stinky like that. And you don't want to eat it. And that's what these people are like. Now look back at the, at the Scripture that was read for a minute. And you're going to see that unlike the irritators... There's another group of people here that we want to imitate more closely for sure. This sweet-smelling aroma that Larry mentioned in the Old Testament, it's kind of strange to us because we, we know God is a spirit, but yet he, you know, he's, he's portrayed as seeing, as hearing, and all these things. So we picture God with ears and eyes and a nose, but He's a spirit. But we're being called upon to imagine him smelling something good, just like if we smelled those fresh fallen leaves, right? Or something good in the air in the fall. That it kind of brightens up your countenance a little bit. Well, God isn't literally smelling the smoke from the altar clear up in heaven, beyond outer space out there. So we know there's got to be something more to it. Let's find out what it is that smells so good to him. I don't think it's the beef or the lamb. I think it has more to do with this attitude right here. Chapter 64, verse 4. Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for Him. You meet Him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned, and these ways we continue 
and we need to be saved. But all, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away, and there's no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you've hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, listen to this, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are potter, and all we are the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look. We all are your people. Please look upon us. What do, you, what do you think they're trying to say? Please look upon us. Our hearts are stone. No, they're saying look upon us. We're, we're clay right now. We are in sin. We need to be forgiven. We need to be saved. And you are the God who created all things from the beginning, who holds the power in your hand to, to create life and to destroy. And we're calling upon you right now to take our hearts and mold them into the kind of people you want us to be. That smells good to God. That's the sacrifice, the offering that He's looking for. And why it still makes sense in the New Testament where we do not any longer have to offer the blood of bulls and goats. Amen. Thank you for that. But by the blood of Christ, we offer up ourselves a living sacrifice. It smells good to God. These people understand who God is in verse 4, and they end up appealing to Him, however, as Father. They know that they need to call upon His tender, loving care as a Father. In verse 6, they think, not that they're self-righteous, they think all their righteousnesses, all their acts of righteousness, anything they can bring to the table to say, God, surely this will impress you. I mean, look what I did this week. They said, all oh, that is just it's filthy rags. It's, it's useless. So we realize that there's nothing we can actually offer that's going to appease you except a clayish heart. We know that we ourselves are all alike. There's no one who's reached out to take hold of you. We know that we're all on the same playing field. God is hearing this talk and this language. And notice also the person that they're speaking in. Is it first person, I, me? Is it second person, they, them? There's a third person, we, us. We, us, our Father. Do you hear that? Don't overlook that. That is a people that has come together understanding that they are family, but they're family in, in the wrong and in sin, calling upon God as a family. Now that's powerful. When we come together to pray in this place, it's powerful because we come together as a family to pray. And that touches God's heart. I don't want to say more so than when you go to your room and shut the door and pray, but there is certainly a special attention that it draws uh, uh, God in nearer to His people. And the last thing I want to point out about that is, unlike the uh, self-righteous who believe that they're attractive and impressive to God, they realize that they've actually become so repulsive they've turned God's face away from them by their sins. 
that if there's darkness, it's because they've turned away from the light. It's not because God just got frustrated and angry and quit on them. They're like, we drove you away by our decisions. And so those who realize there's a gap and realize that they can't fill it with their own self-righteous acts of worship and activity are left only to say, God, only you can repair this damage. And we are giving you a soft lump of clay. We're giving you soft hearts right now. We're open. We want you to take us in your hands since we're the work of your hands and we've marred this thing out of shape. We want you to take it and mold us back into a vessel, as Paul said to Timothy, useful for the Master. Something useful. I could put flowers in this. I could put a beverage in this and pour it. I could do a lot of things with that. I, I still really can't do anything with this. This has to be made into something, but it can be. can't do a thing with this. And so that smell, you got two choices. What are you going to smell like to God? I want to leave you with this. Is what you're doing irritating God in the nose and in the eyes, like, like that burn pile that we're all going to get a whiff of probably sooner or later here this month? Or do you smell good to God because you're coming to Him offering yourself up to Him to be changed. Christians that love, Paul said in Ephesians 5, let off a good, sweet-smelling aroma to God. And in 2 Corinthians 2, he said that we are the fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved to each other and to those who are perishing. We're the fragrance of Christ. The world, we say oftentimes, the only Bible they may read is you. And it's the, tr- the case also that the only real smell of life rather than death that people are going to get is going to come from the way we live as well. So I want to leave you with that. Peter said, rather than to, to let off the smell of death, to let off the smell of life, let the Holy Spirit come to you and quicken you from the dead, through your repentance and your baptism, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39. Turn to God, every one of you, every one, and turn your life over to Him so that you become a sweet-smelling aroma to Him in His high and lofty place where He wants to dwell with the lowly ones. Let's stand and sing this song. And if we can help you, please come forward.